listening to That'll Preach, and today we have a little special episode. This is after Thanksgiving, and uh, one of the great things about Thanksgiving are the leftovers. And this next portion is a little leftover from an interview that I did with Dr. Alistair Roberts a couple weeks ago. You can still check it out. It's called What is Masculinity and Femininity? It was a great conversation that I had with Dr. Roberts, and we talked about so many things that I had to actually cut a part out. And so this is, in a separate episode, a little bonus segment uh, where I asked Dr. Roberts about how his thoughts on masculinity and femininity and what it means to be a man and a woman applies outside of just the family or the church, but to all of society. And he gives some really good insights and some helpful clarifications, and he even gives some practical ways that uh, the church itself can better understand what it means to be a man and a woman and how men and women work together alongside one another in the church. So enjoy this episode. This question may get you canceled, but is is the (laughs) logical conclusion here that if men are the head, and and we're talking about a corporate kind of understanding of, of men, if the flourishing family has a man operating correctly as the head, a flourishing church has men operating correctly as elders and pastors, does that not extend to all of society? Yeah, I, I think when we're talking about society as a whole, we need to recognize, first of all, we need to recognize what people talk about for the most part now is leadership. And that's a very, um, it's a term that allows for a mm. lot of equivocation um, or authority or power. And they're not discriminating between different types of things. When the Bible talks about the man as the head, it's not saying that women um, have no influence, no authority, no agency, um, no power within society. It's not saying that. It's that the head is a particular sort of authority. And it's quite possible to have that in a society. So first of all, in answer to your immediate question, yes, I think that principle extends to the whole of society, but not necessarily meaning that every single figure within society um, leading hmm. in any sort of capacity needs to be a man. I don't think that's what's, what it implies at all. Um, what I think it implies is that there will be a sort of male principle of society that you will more generally... I mean, we, we talk about this anyway. We talk about the man. Now, that can be used in negative sense, but mm-hmm. the man with a capital M is there's a sense that authority in the structure of society is seen as a masculine thing. And when women are empowered, we see that as a power being given by a masculine structure to a petitioning woman, to a woman that's allowed to, that's authorized by that structure to administer it or something like that. Uh, we recognize that at root, uh, authority is is male. Um, and that's not something that is just um, determined by some sort of um, ideology. It's just something we recognize it's there in reality. It's very hard to resist. Um, and it's something that people will, even when they're resisting it, they will speak in ways that betoken its existence. So they'll talk about the ways that they need to be empowered. Empowered um, implies that there's some powerful Mm. agency that needs to give you power. 
or it needs to step back to allow you to have some space. That's often how these things are spoken of. The recognition there is that men have power and women need to be given power or they need to be allowed to administer some of this power that men have established. Or men need to step back and remove themselves so that women have a space within which to be powerful. Now, in these situations, often we see the different ways that men and women are treated within high positions. The way that women can be treated as those who have been empowered, as those who are personally weak, but who have been given agency to exercise. And so they have a high office, perhaps, but that office is one that is empowering them rather than something that they are embodying as a powerful person. There are differences here then that we recognize um, on a subconscious level. We don't generally talk about them because it can be seen as um, politically incorrect and people can resist it. But pay attention to the people who can be most resistant to any idea of male authority and the way that they mm. talk about authority or treat women with high authority. You will recognize these dynamics. And so we're seeing something about the fact that the man is the head, not just in the family, not just in the church, but in society at large. And that reality is something that just needs to be recognized, not in a way that is um, oppressive, but in the way that the head is supposed to operate, like Christ, someone who is not subjugating and, um, and limiting and constraining those who are um, part of his people, but actually empowering them and giving them more scope. And so it is not a bad thing in a society for um, men to empower women or for women to expect to be empowered by men. It's a very positive impulse in principle. And one of the problems that we have is that it's we've lived in a society in many ways where men have pursued power without empowering women and in ways that have marginalized women. And so when women are in the feminist movement and in various feminist movements and otherwise seeking to be empowered, um, it's not necessarily a wrong thing in principle, although I think there are many wrong ways that that goes about. Um, what we need to recognize is the reality that God has created of male headship, um, the ways that even the movements that are supposedly resisting that exhibit its dynamics and then act accordingly in ways that recognize the reality, speak truthfully about the reality, but pursue a healthy and humane form of that reality. Because much male headship is fairly oppressive and the patriarchy critique is getting at something real. I think the queen um, was a very good example of a woman who is very not operating as a feminist icon at all, but someone who was exercising a certain sort of authority in a very female way. Um, she is primarily um, someone who is not exercising direct authority um, in the way that male figures tend to be seen as doing. Um, she was exercising authority indirectly um, through, through counsel, to, to leaders, through moral example, through 
the way that she um, set the environment of the nation. She was a grandmother figure. She um, had a family around her. All of these sorts of things were incredibly powerful for um, the British people and people around the world. Um, what she represented was far more powerful than many women who take the more typically masculine, um, agonistic political route, um, because she was actually leaning into something um, more feminine. And there, I think, um, we have maybe a case, I mean, <laughs> considering she never cast a vote, hmm. she never exercised power in the direct ways that many women would be pursuing, um, but yet, here we have an example of female power or power being exercised in a female way that I think chastens some of the um, constrained visions that we might otherwise have. And there, I think, um, we just need to expand our imaginations and think about the ways in which power is not necessarily um, male modes of power. Mm. We tend to think of power in ways that reduces it to male modalities. Sure. The ways that formally, normally takes uh, the forms that it normally takes among men, and yet there are forms of female influence and authority and and um, power that are very different and understood in their own terms can be more powerful than many forms of male power, and so actually thinking more carefully about those, I think, would be helpful. Something that I find that makes you kind of a, an odd bird is that you have some of the most uncompromising positions on why men should be priests, men should be pastors. And you also have a, a, a strong conviction about elevating women within the local church. What are some ways that you would envision that we could elevate the role of women without falling into a egalitarian sort of feminist trope regarding those issues? Yes. Well, I think one of the problems with the egalitarian approaches is by being insufficiently attentive to the differences between men and women, what we have is a sort of um, vision of the reformation of humanity in the church of God that does not do full justice to the glorious character of us being male and female, hmm. something that was created at the very beginning and is seen as constitutive in its difference of the very human race, we are created male and female. That's what um, is introduced as the constitu constitutive difference that is at the heart of humanity. So when we're created in the image of God, that's the one difference that's mentioned. No other differences are mentioned at that point. A gen difference between the generations may be implied, but the differences between the sexes is the only one that's mentioned. Now, if we're thinking about the church, often we can have this idea, on the one hand, of this generic um, set of individuals that have been saved, and maleness and femaleness is completely eradicated, and now we need to have this um, indifference about whether men or women are in positions of authority. There's a sort of gender neutrality there. Or on the other hand, we can have this idea that men are supposed to be the authority, they're supposed to be the, the leaders, and there's a sort of negation of women's role. Um, there's a sense that 
women, um, well, maybe they can do the same sorts of things that an unordained man can do. Um, and so we try and in those areas where an unordained man could act, we'll actually try and put as many of those in the direction of women as we can to, as a sort of token gesture, we recognize only men can be pastors, but this is the case as well. I think both of those are really impoverished visions. They lack something of the glory of what scripture presents us with, which is a true male-female humanity. I mean, that's the vision of the church. It's Christ the bridegroom and the church is the bride. This is the vision of the eschaton as well. There's something symbolic and archetypal about male and female that enables us in our differentiated particularity to be refractions of these great truths. And so as male and female, we can represent something of these higher realities. Now, what does this look like in an average church? Part of it is recognizing that, first of all, when you do move in the direction of women in church leadership, the church changes. Yeah, What pastoral ministry means changes. And it has that change because it's changing under the influence of the people who are occupying it. And so, for instance, you'll see women, as women become pastors in 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 these churches, often what you'll see is a weakening of the sense of the pastoral office as something that represents authority, that embodies authority. Rather increasingly, it will be seen as the pastoral office is something that is given to women to empower them. And the people that are occupying pastoral office are weaker people that are empowered and they're relying very much upon what the office gives them rather than actually embodying what the office should be. Hmm. And there you see just the changing character on the ground in many situations. You see also the way that the more typical dynamics of male and female get played out as men in positions of church leadership will tend to be more outwardly oriented for the life of the church than women will be in those same roles. There will be more of a sense of the woman in pastoral office as a sort of mother figure forming the intimacy of a community around herself. The man is functioning in a different way relative to the world and relative to that community. Now, in many complementarian circles, in many circles that, and I think this is accelerated by developments in the ways that we form churches through the advent of modern um, social business and social organization, and also through the advent of the car, we're having churches that increasingly function as sort of businesses that provide a, a service to religious consumers and treat them as a market. And so you have a leadership team that functions very much like some business team, some corporate team might function, where you have the authority represented by a senior pastor, perhaps, who's usually a man, and then you'll have an assistant pastor, perhaps, who's a woman, or various other ministry roles that are representing this organization called the church that's organized very much according to a modern um, corporate model. And that leads to a certain understanding of um, female leadership. Um, what you have, I think, in a more healthy model 
is a recognition of the need to have an ecclesiology that is truly male and female, where we have a recognition of the men as the head providing structure, those performing the role that Adam was given in the garden, to guard and to keep, um, to uphold the boundaries, but also to maintain the patterns of life and the order of life within the garden, to uphold and to teach the law concerning the tree. Adam was given all of these roles before Eve came on the scene. Eve fills the garden with life. She makes sure that the garden is not just the model home that provides the model for transforming the world. It is a home. It's a realm of life from which things flow out. And so the woman is associated with the garden far more intimately than the man is. There's a sense in which the garden city is a woman. It's the new Jerusalem, the mother of us all. And so that inner realm of life is feminized, but also connected with women more generally. And the church has increasingly become a sort of organization providing services to religious consumers and less of a community, a realm of life that is shared. And as that happens, you'll end up marginalizing women um, and you'll have to include them within token roles more often within the corporate structure. And so what I think we really need to recover is the character of the church as a community. And that will be recovered in part through extending what it means for us to gather together. If you look in our Acts, it's not the church is not just a realm of teaching, of providing leadership and authority over people. It's a realm of shared meals, of hospitality. It's a realm of communal existence. And where the church loses that, it's not surprising that women will be marginalized. It's not surprising that you'll end up with this, uh, these sorts of hard choices to make. Do you either um, try and elevate women and end up with a changing of the, the nature of these pastoral ministries? Or do you end up with a church that's just dominated by male figures at the front? And so I would argue that we need to recover the communal character of the church. One good place to start with that would be to have a fellowship meal hosted by the women of the church every single week, hmm. uh, where you're actually spending time together and the women have prominence within the life of the church, hosting the church and providing its common realm of life. Now, these are things that take quite a bit of administration and take quite a bit of implementation, but I think these are ways in which we would see women having more prominence within the life of the church as women. And I think it would just it would be something that would lead to further prominence, not just in preparing meals, but actually in setting the tone and the character of the inner life of the church and enjoying prominence and dignity as figures of importance within its life. Um, because we start to see ourselves more as a community, and within that community, women would naturally attain to the prominence that they have within the living communities. And it would be an organic extension of their natural bent. And, th exactly. and this might even solve our celebrity pastor problem. If you kind of took the onus off of the, you know, the main guy on Sunday and you really made what a church should be, which is an assembly of God's people, you know, an actual community, a living community. And uh, I think that's, that's one of the points 
that is really worth reflecting upon, hmm. that what might be at issue here is a distorted understanding of what a pastor is. Hmm. We've centralized the pastor so much that we fail to see his role as a servant of a community of life that is being formed. And we've made him the central focus in a way that has lost something of the organic life of the church that he is supposed to be serving and guarding. He's Adam within the garden. He's not the garden. Um, at the heart of the garden is the bride and is represented far more in, in women um, than in pastors, the, the head of the church. Hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode of That'll Preach. If you're interested in accessing more of Alistair's work, we're going to put some of his stuff in the show notes. You can check those out. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, leave a review. That really helps. And let your friends know all about us. Thanks. Thanks.